Okay, well we're going to uh, be back in 1 Kings tonight, continue our study in 1 Kings. We are in chapter 4 this week. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21. Uh, when I first began to study on this chapter, I kind of had a hard time figuring out what I was going to talk about. But by the time I got done, uh, it was really a blessing to me because it reminded me of some things that I needed to uh, probably step up in in my own life. And so any Anytime I begin to study something and I have a hard time pulling anything out of it, it's just a matter of time before uh, the Lord shows me, usually through other people that I study, no intelligence of my own, uh, but He shows me stuff that I really need. And I hope that you can get something out of this tonight as well. Uh, the title of the message tonight is A Properly Ordered Kingdom. We're going to see where Solomon sets up the administration of the kingdom of Israel now that he is king. First uh, Kings... Chapter 4 really tells us how Solomon organized the kingdom of Israel. Uh, this chapter shows us really another example of that God-given wisdom that he, got, uh, that he had prayed for. Remember a chapter or two ago he had prayed for God to give him wisdom of all the things that he could ask for. That's what he asked for <clears throat> and God gave it to him. And we saw last week uh, where he used that wisdom for the first time and that wise judgment between those two prostitutes and their children, one of those babies had died and the other one swapped it out during the middle of the night. You remember that story. And so that was really the first time we saw his wisdom in action. And we're going to see it in action again here tonight in this chapter. And we're going to see it in, in action as far as his wisdom for uh, the administration of the kingdom of Israel. And then the following chapters after this, we'll really see kind of the same theme continued where Solomon uses that God-given wisdom in several different ways. He's going to use it for construction in chapters 5 through 7. He's going to use that wisdom for worship in uh, chapter 8. And he's going to use it for commerce and uh, economical issues in uh, chapters 9 and 10. So again, we're seeing the wisdom of Solomon that God granted him. Well, chapter 4 begins with really an orderly account of the members of Solomon's royal administration. In verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time, I'm going to butcher this text because I cannot hardly pronounce any of these names. Uh, so just bear with me. In verses 1 through 6, it says, So King Solomon was king over all Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. And these were his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest... Uh, Eli Horeph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahalud, the recorder, Benai, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers, Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend, Abishar, over the household, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. Or most versions render that. Uh, over the tribute or over the forced labor. And that's going to come into play here in just a second. Now, this was not just an ordinary labor force, okay? This was forced labor. So right off the bat here, when we read these uh, first six verses, we ought to see some names that look familiar to us because we've met some of these people before. Do you remember the support of Nathan and Zadok and Benai? That was critically important for when uh, Solomon uh, took the kingdom in the first place, whenever Adonijah tried to take it, well, these guys came in and helped the rightful king, the anointed king, King Solomon, and his rise to power. So 
it's really or it shouldn't be surprising to us to see the uh, these men now helping Solomon in his administration and also the sons of these men offering their leadership within Solomon's administration uh, they're offering leadership as far as uh, prophetic leadership priestly leadership military leadership uh, within Solomon's kingdom here so Solomon has put these guys in charge, and really, he's put the right guys in charge. He's put the right men in charge of the kingdom. These are men who are loyal to his kingship. Uh, They're men who uh, chose him right off the bat. They didn't try to go with somebody who tried to usurp the throne. They knew he was the rightful anointed king because David had said so, and God had told David. And so he chose men who were loyal to him, and he chose men who were loyal to the kingdom. Now, these men had always been loyal to the kingdom, to the people of Israel. And so he chose, he, we see his wisdom right off the bat, choosing the right people to put in charge. But what's a little bit surprising from these first six verses is that we see another guy uh, has a role here in his kingdom as well. That's Abiathar. You remember Abiathar? He allied with Adonijah when he tried to take over the throne there in the beginning instead of allying with, with Solomon. And uh, he had been, he had his uh, priestly role had been taken away from him a few chapters ago in First Kings chapter one. Uh, now, though, Abiathar it seems is a priest again, so it seems that he has been restored to the royal court here by Solomon. Now, some Bible scholars will tell you that he was just a priest in name only, and he never was restored to his priestly roles. But I don't see any evidence of that. In my study, I think he was restored to his role as a priest. And to me, that speaks to Solomon's forgiveness. Uh, it seems that Abiathar had done what it had, uh, took to be forgiven. He had repented. He had uh, turned back to, the, to serving the kingdom properly. And so he was restored to his uh, priestly position. Uh, that says a lot about Solomon. So these duties of these men really cover the full range of the work there in the kingdom of Israel. We see that there are priests, there's administrative secretaries. Probably these people handled foreign affairs with other uh, neighboring countries and uh, groups of people. We see there's court reporters. They would record all the deeds of King Solomon. They would make sure that King Solomon was remembered, everything that he has done is remembered. They would make sure that everything that happened in the kingdom was remembered. We also see there's the general of the army, Benai. There's the chief of staff. Uh, Ahishar, there's the friend to the king, Zabud. Uh, so, really, we see there's leadership for every branch of this government. Uh, much like our modern government today, much like the government in the United States of America. Uh, what we're doing is nothing new. Uh, modern government stems from biblical government. Listen, government is derived, derived from God. Uh, he instituted it. We didn't come up with it, the Lord did. But another thing that just doesn't really sit well or sound right or seems like it might not fit in here was that verse I told you to remember there at the end of verse 6. And really it doesn't sound right for a nation like Israel, especially why. Remember where they came from. They had been slaves. They had been enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years. And then verse 6 says that Adoniram was in charge of forced labor. Okay, Solomon was forcing people to do work for him. 
This was something that the prophet Samuel had warned the people of Israel about. You remember that? When they wanted a king, when they said they wanted a king like all the other nations and they desired a king, uh, Solomon told them to be careful what they wished for. Why? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, he told them this, One day their king would take their children and force them to do his work. And that's exactly what we're seeing start to happen right here, even with King Solomon. So, that wasn't something that was right. That wasn't something that was good. Having this forced labor, though, is another warning sign that we see in Solomon. Another warning sign that he is not the perfect king. Another warning sign that he has tragic flaws in his character. Uh, We're going to see those develop as we study his life, and they're going to lead to his downfall. So, what Solomon said is coming true. And then when verses 7 through 19, we see where Solomon also appointed governors over different provinces and areas there within the, uh, the kingdom of Israel. And this was mainly for the purpose of providing food for his table. He was taxing them. He was taxing these areas. Now, before you think of Solomon as some oppressive dictator king, uh, you're going to see where these people, at this point in time at least, were taxed less than we're being taxed in the United States of America today. Uh, this wasn't oppressive on these people. It was They, they were paying one-twelfth of their income. And we're going to see that here. In 7 through 19, it says, And Solomon, and this is really where the names get tough, so bear with me. And Solomon had twelve governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household Each one made provision for one month of the year. So one-twelfth of the income. These are their names. Ben-Hur. Now this is not the guy in the movie. Okay, (laughs) Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim. Ben-Decker in Makaz Shalbim. Beth-Shemesh in Elon. Beth-Hanan. Ben-Hesed in Araboth. To him belong Soka and all the land of Hefer. I had a man tell me one time his wife was from the land of Heifer. That must be where he got the Heifer. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble with his wife jokes on these days. <laughs> and then verse 11, Ben of Benadab in all of the regions of Dor, he had Tephath, the daughter of Solomon, as wife, Baana, the son of Ahalud, in Tanakh, Megiddo, and all Bethshean, which is beside Zaratan below Jezreel. From Beshian to Abel Mahalah, as far as the other side of Jachniam, Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead, to him belonged the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, in Gilead, to him also belonged the region of Argob in Bashan, sixty large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edo in Mahanaim, Ahamaz in Naphtali, he also took Basimath, or Basemath, must be fifth grade math. The daughter of Solomon, his wife, Baana, the son of Hoshea, and Asher, and Alath. Jehoshaphat, the son of uh, Parua, and Issachar. Shimei, the son of Ela, and Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. So there were 12 districts, okay, 12 districts, and they were various shapes and sizes and populations there in the kingdom, various numbers of cities within the territories. And, but each one was under the jurisdiction of a different leader. Now, 
when Solomon did this, he was really following the same basic advice that Jethro had given to Moses years and years ago to take larger groups of people and divide them into smaller units to govern them. So I, I, I say that to say this. Solomon didn't have to learn by his own mistakes all the time. You notice that? It's a wise thing to learn from other people who have been there and done that. You know, when I was growing up in Bodkal, my mom and dad owned that, built that store and owned that store there for about 20 years. And I spent a lot of my time sitting at them old tables eating lunch with those old geezers from Bodkal. And I learned so much from them. And I learned some things that I shouldn't do because I knew what would happen before I did it. And if you'll take that advice and actually apply it to your life instead of being so stubborn that you're going to do it anyway, you can avoid a lot of headaches and a lot of heartache and a lot of financial loss as well. And so that's what Solomon did. Solomon took advice from people who'd came before him. And it was wise advice, and it worked out well for the kingdom of God at this point in time. So he had these 12 governors. Now these 12 governors, I want to ask you, do do any of you recognize or remember any of those hard names that I just read besides Ben-Hur, and that's not the same Ben-Hur like I mentioned? I don't. I don't know anything about these guys. I mean, I've read this text before, but I don't remember them. I don't remember any of those names. But these guys would have been famous in their day and time, right? I mean, they would have been well-regarded. People would have known who they were, even though we don't remember their names now. But the truth of the matter is, it's easy for us to overlook people like this in the Bible. Uh, these people with unfamiliar names, even unpronounceable names. But the lives of these men mattered. They mattered to the people of Israel. The lives of these men also mattered to God. And that should remind us of something. We matter to God as well. We matter to the Lord. Listen, in the kingdom of God, every single person matters. You know, most of the people in the world... Uh, they have no idea who we are either. They have no clue who we are. They have no clue what we're doing when we're dead and gone. No, most people, uh, within four generations, nobody will know our name. But listen, our names may sound strange as well, like Ahinadab sounds to us, to other people. But every one of us has a name that is known to God. And just like these 12 people, these 12 governors... We all have an ability to serve the kingdom of God. Every single one of us. So we shouldn't be discouraged if our service to the Lord in our own minds seems insignificant or if our own service to the Lord uh, seems to be overlooked by others. Listen, that should not discourage us because God knows our names and God knows exactly what we're doing and God will not forget what we're doing and God will reward us for what we're doing for His kingdom. Uh, it doesn't matter if nobody remembers us. Nobody remembers these 12 governors. But God does. And those 12 governors were rewarded for their work for the kingdom of God. And you and I will be rewarded as well. I don't care how insignificant it might seem to other people. We'll be rewarded. So, Solomon, he, uh, he has this great wisdom, uh, wisdom. And he shows this great wisdom again by bringing order to the kingdom of God here in these verses. And this, this brings joy to the kingdom as well. In verse 20, we read that the people were eating and drinking 
and rejoicing. They hadn't got there yet. That's what verse 20 says. They were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. That's a very positive assessment of the kingdom kingdom of Israel here now. And this assessment really helps us to understand why the Bible gives us so much detail about how Solomon and about why Solomon organized his kingdom here. It's because the people of God, and we're people of God, just like these people were, if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ, people of God find happiness and true joy in the prosperity of the king and of the kingdom. It's not all about us. It's about the king. For us, it's King Jesus. For us, it's the kingdom of God. So, we see here that effective administration is really a gracious gift from Almighty God that brings joy to the people of God. Our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is a God of order, and God loves order. And we see this all throughout the Bible. It's evident in the way God made the world. He worked six days and rested on the seventh. And guess what? Uh, We do the same thing today. In doing that, He established a pattern. He established a rhythm for work and for rest and order. It's also evident from the way He uh, put the sun and the moon in the sky to mark the days and the seasons, right? It's order. It's also evident in little things that we see all around us. Uh, Anything from a beehive to a spider web to a colony of ants, there's order to that. It's not chaos. It's not confusion. We also see the order of God evident in human relationships. We see it in the structure that God uh, put in the home. Uh, The man is to be the head of the household. Christ is to be his head. We see it in uh, his ordering of society with uh, human government, in which he gives human government the power for performing justice and carrying out capital punishment. We see it in his instructions to the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14.40 that in the church all things are to be done uh, decently and in order. And we also see it in the plan of salvation. The uh, salvation is administered by the Father, It is accomplished by the Son, and it is applied by the Holy Spirit. So God is a God of order. He's he's an orderly God, and order is one of His gracious gifts to us. And we see that developing here in the kingdom of Israel under the reign of Solomon. And so Solomon was given this wisdom to establish order in his kingdom. And again, his people were very happy, verse 20 tells us. They were joyful. And really, that's a rare condition for a group of people. It's hard to find a group of it's hard to even find a group of church people who are joyful. As sad as that is to say. It's a rare condition for nations of people to have true joy, but they do here. But people were made <clears throat> to have that joy. And we were made uh, with a need for this order. We we weren't made for chaos. We never uh, were were uh, supposed to live in chaos and disorder. Wherever we see that, Whenever we see the chaos and the disorder, it should be a a reminder to us that we're dealing with sin. We're dealing with a sin nature. We're dealing with the effects of sin in a fallen world. And so that should remind us of that. But also we should be reminded of something else. Wherever we see things that are well-ordered, we catch a glimpse of the grace of God. 
There's a thing called the common grace of God. We've talked about that before. That's where God extends grace to every person on the earth, not just believers. It rains on the just and the unjust, right? That's the common grace of God. Also, order extends to people who are non-believers. I thank God I live in the United States of America. As bad as it's gotten these days, we still live in a country that has more order than almost any place in the entire world. And that's because of the common grace of God. So we should be reminded of that. And here in Solomon's kingdom, even though it wasn't perfect, the order that Solomon brought to the kingdom of Israel was a gift from God that brought great joy to his people. And this same gift is available to us today. The gift of order, the gift of joy that comes from that is available to us and it's available by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The New Testament tells us about that gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, that gift is called the gift of administration. Now most people, when they think about the gift of administration, they tend to think of it as one of the less important gifts. But I will tell you something, the gift of administration is just as important as any other gift. And every single church needs people with this gift. Listen, anyone who's ever been involved in something that was total chaos and poorly planned understands how important it is, how important order is and the gift of administration is. And this is why God has given us elders. This is why God's given us deacons within the church to have that order, to establish that structure. This is why we need good leaders for every ministry of this church. This is why we need Sunday school teachers who will actually prepare and take time to have an ordered lesson and a structured lesson and a structured Sunday school class. Same with these kids' ministries. We need leaders who will actually prepare for those classes, uh, prepare for illustrations and prepare the lesson and have some structure in that class so it's not just a free-for-all. Probably the best example, and Caleb can attest to this, is game time. If you don't have some structure in game time, man, it's total chaos, especially in this echo chamber we have out here. Amen? (laughs) Oh, me, more like it. So we need this structure. We need this administration, and that is a vital gift from the church. And listen, that is a gift that we should pray for as a church that the Lord would raise up more people with the gift of administration. And we need people like that in all of our churches. So Solomon's organization brought joy to the people, but I want you to understand it wasn't just the organization that brought joy to these people. The joy of Solomon's kingdom really had a deeper source than simply his ability to get things organized. Uh, The deep source of joy in the kingdom of Israel under the reign of Solomon was actually, and it's this way for any people of God, was the faithful promises of God. That's what really brought the greatest joy. And we see these promises kept in this joyful summary that we're given in verses 20 and 21 uh, that follows this list, list of his governors. In verses 20 through 21, it says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, on the surface, and maybe just a casual reading of those verses, 
it, it might simply seem like it's just telling us about the size of Solomon's kingdom, right? About how big the population was, how big of a geographical area that it covered. Uh, it says his people were countless in number like the sand on the seashore. and His borders stretched from Egypt and to modern-day Iraq. But does that not sound familiar to you? It ought to, especially since we've been going through uh, the book of Genesis. What is this speaking of? It's speaking directly about an ancient promise of God. Called the what, class? I wish I had $5 to give you for a prize. The Abrahamic covenant, right? This is the Abrahamic covenant uh, coming to fruition right before our eyes. Remember, in his covenant with Abraham, God had promised both land and seed. He would make the descendants of Abraham as numerous as the sands of the seashores. And what does this tell us? They were beginning to be that numerous now. Uh, he promised that. He also promised that he would give them a large, uh, plentiful, and bountiful country that they could call their very own home. And now we see these promises of this covenant were coming true right before the people's eyes. And they were happy about it. And they were happy for the prosperity of their king. And they were happy and joyful in the security of these blessings uh, that had been given to them and were now coming true uh, uh, from God. And so, through the reign of Solomon's kingdom, these blessings uh, that were promised to Abraham were developing. They were starting to unfold right before the people's eyes. And it brought great joy. And so everything was going good. In Solomon's kingdom at this point in time, everything's going really good. But as good as Solomon's kingdom was, everything in his kingdom is greatly, greatly surpassed in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, Jesus said there's one greater than Solomon, and that is him. That is Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Christ is better organized than Solomon's. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus sent, is the one that brings order to the kingdom of God. He's the one that brings order to our homes and to our churches if we're uh, members of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God. He's the one that brings order to our lives, to our relationships. Uh, The kingdom of Jesus Christ is also bigger than Solomon's kingdom, has more people in it, and they're coming from farther away. They're coming from even more nations than came to King Solomon's. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32? He said, And I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And we see that come to pass in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, when John is allowed to see into, into heaven, he said he saw a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb praising Him in heaven. As any nation that has ever been on this earth, the farthest nation that you can think of, there will be people there from there in the kingdom of God. Coming from farther than they were for Solomon's kingdom. The kingdom of Christ also has more tribute from more nations as well. Psalm 22, 27, 28 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the earth. That's everyone says in Revelation 21-24, the kings of the earth will bring their glory to honor the kingdom of Christ. Listen, the kings from all the earth will pay tribute to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Habakkuk 2-14, 
His kingdom will stretch far beyond the borders of Solomon's kingdom, running from north to south and east to west until finally Habakkuk says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, in light of all that, knowing all of this, as we do, we should be overwhelmed with joy to belong to a kingdom like that. It should overwhelm us with joy that we belong to God's kingdom. And those people were were so joyful to be a part of Solomon's kingdom. How much more should we be joyful to be a part of God's kingdom? Listen, as the people of God, we should find our true happiness, our true joy in the prosperity of our King. And our King is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the more He is worshipped, the more we should rejoice. That should bring us great joy. We should love to see our King bring spiritual order to people who are in a state of spiritual chaos, spiritual disorder. Uh, He brings order to broken lives, to damaged relationships. He brings order and restores relationship to His Father. We should especially be thankful for that, that He restores people that are uh, separated from His Father in total chaos And He restores that relationship. He puts them back in proper order so they can have a relationship with God. And we should take an active interest in the kingdom work that God is doing in our community and in the world around us. Listen, the work of God's kingdom is the most important work in the world. I don't care if you're a doctor or a lawyer, whatever you're doing for God's kingdom, even if it's just the gift of administration within God's church, it's more important than being a doctor. That's the most important work in the world. And our joy should be to see it grow by getting involved in it. Listen, we shouldn't, we shouldn't participate in a ministry in the church because I've guilted you into it. Or because... You just think you have to be busy or somebody else has made you feel bad about not doing it? We should be involved in ministries in this church because it brings us great joy to help expand the kingdom of God. That's why we should do it. Our desire should be for the Lord Jesus Christ to receive as much honor as possible from as many people as possible in as many places as possible because He alone deserves all the glory. That should be our desire. So I ask you this question in closing. Is your life organized to be an active member of the kingdom of God? Is your life organized to be an active participant participant in doing the work of the kingdom? If not, maybe you need to make some adjustments in your life. Maybe you need to reorder some things. Get them in proper order for the kingdom of God. Listen, just as Solomon appointed these governors for certain areas of his kingdom, I want you to understand something. God has appointed you as an ambassador in your area of his kingdom. Do you know that? You're an ambassador for God in whatever area of the kingdom he has placed you in. For us, it's Hope and Spring Hill, Arkansas. And so, do you have things in proper order to serve His kingdom effectively. That's the challenge tonight. If not, I challenge you to get those things in proper order. Let's stand. Brother Scott, will you dismiss?